Welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. Scott Mellinger joined Zayo to replace Brett Detter as a guitarist when Brett left to form the Juliana Theory. And this, this was between Blood and & Fire and Liberate. Now, Scott immediately brought a new element to the band and helped them arrive at their signature sound, but Scott's influence didn't stop there. Despite being in a band with a legendary frontman like Dan and a legendary drummer and personality like Jesse, Scott emerged as a leader and became something like the point guard or quarterback. Now, many bands have this kind of role as an all-purpose or a utility member who doesn't get the most attention in the band, but truly understands the band as an entity or a system that needs to be operated at every level. In this case, Scott was able to stabilize one of the most important but chaotic bands in the scene. And wonderfully, we can all appreciate what Zayo is and the fact that they put together such a streak of longevity uh, It was truly unexpected given their early years and the amount of environmental change that has occurred since the late 90s. Zayo's about as legendary as it gets in our world, and I think you'll really like getting into Scott's head. He's a great thinker, and there's lots to learn uh, from his temperament and style of decision-making, and I always feel privileged to have the opportunity to speak with him in any context. Let's do it. Hello. Scott, it's good to see you, man. Yes. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Man, you're looking good. Oh, I feel so much better. I um I had gallbladder surgery like in 2019. And um from that, like I just started eating better. So I lost like 40 pounds or something crazy. So wow. you lost 40 yeah. pounds in this last year and, and when everybody else gained 40 pounds last year. Do you know that? Yeah. Well, that's it's a fight now because <laughs> I gotta be careful. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to have you, Scott. Um, we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff today. But really, Zayo's such a band that is real and vulnerable and brought personality and life into the art. Ooh, um, I like that. Wow. I, you know, it's just it was just early on I connected with Zayo because it felt like Zayo was putting more life, putting your whole self into the art. Mm -hmm. Does, does mm -hmm. that sound right? Yeah, I think I think that Dan um, especially with his lyrical content, but I think all of us, you know, we, there, there's so much negative that, that happens every day. I think everybody deals with it. There's just so much negative. And we try in the band through all that negative, always to try to come out positive, but you don't throw away the negative. Like you actually use the negative. Use the negative. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. Zayo's so negative, darkness adjacent or, or centered, but mm -hmm. it's like using it to create a thing that then brings people together and mm -hmm. gives them a guide of how to deal with negativity or something like that. You know? No, so, that's, I think that's a really good way to put it. Cause Dan, I mean, everything, even when Dan doesn't write from like a personal side or he's like observing some sort of injustice or observing something that he he read about uh there's a lot of that on this new on the new record actually but like his observations of of negative uh, instances he's always trying to find ways of kind of combating letting it pull you down so like even though like i mean we've all been through some horrible stuff all of us even collectively with the last year but like dan has been through some unbelievable stuff in his life and he's always been able to take that kind of negative energy and, and put it into something. Now, granted, we're all lucky. We're lucky that we have the outlet that the band is. 
Um, and I, I think a lot of people, I, I talk about that a, a lot where people say, well, your band did this and did that. And, you know, that's really uh, unbelievable to hear, but the band did all of that for us, you know? So, so I think that like the genuine reality that our band is a catharsis for everyone is, I, I hope, and is authentic and real. I hope that's what people kind of why they engage with it so much well it's why i engaged with it so long ago when i discovered zayo and you know i mean maybe i've told you this before but it is hard to underestimate the influence that zayo had on me my musical development and just the, you know my band i mean it's like the, it was a, one of the most stretching things like i thought i understood heavy music because i heard corn on the radio at, yeah. and then yeah. i heard zayo next and i thought what even is that and how do i feel all these ways about it i don't even know if i like it but that's just mm. what is this and so to me it always just represented this extremeness of darkness and negativity and vulnerability and uh, just and it, and it just was the heaviest music i had heard um so i've always just been fascinated with zayo and then the fact that zayo is a band that still exists today and has a new record and we'll talk about that when we get to it i want to take a little bit of a journey before we get yeah. back to that but um the fact that zayo has had one of the a lot of volatility in its past through the what in the band uh the external environment of the music industry the revolutions of technology and the pandemic and everything else and zayo's make got an album now and just it's just i mean it's, i can't wait to talk about it and share some of it because you it, you really are getting at what is still so exciting about zayo so mm -hmm. how that all works it kind of occurred to me that you know there's a lot of talent in Zayo and there's been a lot of talent in and out of Zayo, but you've been in the band a really long time and mm -hmm. ha must have played a big role in the stability and the organization and the decision-making to navigate uh, a volatile group over volatile times. And it's just, and I think of that role that you must have played is just one I want to kind of focus on. I'm just kind of curious about your history all the way back of your musical development and then how you got into the scene and uh, of solid state, tooth and nail, this whole world. And so, yeah, I'm really curious about that trajectory, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I mean, I started having an interest in music because my grandfather played guitar. So when we would um, have like family reunions and any of that kind of thing, he would uh, always get asked to bring the guitar out. And I mean, he was playing like traditionals or sometimes just like church songs, whatever. Um, and then he would play some Johnny Cash stuff here and there. So that kind of like got into me pretty young. Um, so music was around my family and uh, it just piqued my interest. Now, I originally wanted to play drums, but I think that's more because you're a kid, you just want to hit stuff. But Same exact thing. I got yeah. a pair of drumsticks and learned all the Nirvana songs on pillows, but I didn't even know what yeah. drums were. Like, I didn't know what exactly. made what sound. I, yeah. I had a couch set up where I took all the uh, cushions and I made them look like the toms and everything. Yeah. So I did the same thing. But, um, but when I hit like maybe 10 or 11, I heard Master of Puppets. And whatever the guitars were doing on that record totally intrigued my whole thing. What grade were you? So, uh, was that, I'm so bad with age. I'm not, oh, 10, I'm saying, so 10 or 11. So you were like a second grader. No, no, you were like in middle school. Yeah, like I was probably maybe fifth or sixth grade, I think. Yeah. Is that what 10 yeah. is? Something close to middle school. So how did you get from there to this? How did you get from 
that entry point of grunge and metal like that because basically that was the subculture before this subculture you know did do you see what you got into as a subfunction of metallica and then like how what is the next level of subculture that you found your way into until you were in the tooth and nail solid state scene i would get i guess what makes the most sense is if you look at the way grunge worked because i think grunge was an outgrowth of just punk Mm-hmm. And I think that without that scene, without without how punk originated it, and then you had grunge kind of take from punk, even though like some of that stuff, like even Pearl Jam sounded like a classic rock band kind of, right. but, but they had that attitude of like a punk scene. I think the hardcore scene was an outgrowth of all of that. So it like just a, a farther leap on the heavy side of that same it. movement. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it was a, it was a gradual kind of evolution from from all that like like late 60s 70s 80s punk stuff into how grunge became what it was and then because all of it i think the thing that ties it all together is the idea of just being able to do things yourself so like you know all those bands i mean look at all the bands from seattle like if you look back when they first started like all of them were just doing diy shows and all that kind of stuff just like all the punks, the whole punk scene was doing. So hardcore to me was actually attainable. Cause like, if you come from the metal scene, like, like Metallica, right? I love Metallica, but getting into that was like, you're not doing that. Like you stadium, it was, it was yeah, almost like, stadium rock in the nineties by then. So yeah. it was like already inaccessible. Yeah. So there's like, up. yeah, totally church accessible. Basement. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's inaccessible. But even like when, like you get into Metallica when they were like, right before like the Aussie stuff where they did start playing more like stadium type things. I mean, it was still kind of unattainable and even the clubs themselves in like our hometown or like Pittsburgh, like city outside of the hometown, you know, it was either pay to play or you had to be on a tour, which is impossible in the metal scene. Like it was really hard to break into that scene, but hardcore, the guy was doing a show at a VFW and you could just know him. Yeah. Right. So like, all of a sudden now that world opens up for you because, Oh, well, we can just do this. Okay. We'll just do this. We'll just put the, like, Oh, you don't have a PA who cares? Like, let's, can you hear the singer sort of, yeah. you know, <laughs> so that's, like, that's everything it. beautiful happens when it's okay to be bad and it's still yeah. positive. You know, it's like we can show up here. The sound might not be bad, but there's not like a promoter that loses money. It's just like a guy said, this will be fun. And previously you were playing in a basement practicing and your friends would come over so yeah. now you just go to a different basement and, and some of their friends come over. It's like, yeah. what could go, there's no pressure to that really, no, but it's exciting no. as, as anything can ever be just to take the yep. one step at a time and then boom, everybody can do it now. And then it's a race to like get good and who's better. And you just outdo one at a time. There's still no money involved or anything. Nope. It's still all this <laughs> intrinsic value. That's just fun as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, mean, I do. And I think I, I love it. I, I, I can easily remember just, the feeling of like, holy shit, we get to play a show. Oh my gosh. Like not, oh, not how much money we make it for the show. That wasn't even a thing. It was like, oh, we just get to play. That's really, we're going to play. Okay. Awesome. And you're not that like, worried about being embarrassed because you're bad. No. I mean, it, yeah. Know, Cause that's okay. The, you've, you've basically won because you get to be on the stage or yeah. whatever, or the floor where people are paying attention to you. Like, and then what I love about that, I'm sure you guys had the same thing. Like what happens is then there's such an authenticity to the band because in order for people to care, you got to do something that makes them care. 
Mm-hmm. So I think what was really cool about the hardcore scene, especially the ones that, that we kind of blossomed from, is that you might not be technically proficient. The band could be sloppy, but you know what? We're going to talk about something. And we're going to talk about something that's important to everybody here. So then you're going to identify with this group of people because we're talking about something that you kind of feel close to. Resonant so, with. Yeah, whatever yeah. that would be. Like, Because um, I, like, I kind of probably cut my teeth mainly on like straight edge veganism stuff. Like that's where like when I first started getting into like the hardcore scene, that was the stuff that was happening. So whatever it was or whatever tied you in, I mean, obviously the every you you follow people. So like if your buddies are that way, like I had a lot of friends that were that way. So I'm going to basically like, luckily I think that's probably, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I, I was put in, in that world, but not some other bad world. But, um, so I, I, that started me out and I cared about that. I cared about all the other things that people were talking about. And it seemed like even though the bands, whatever they were, like you got tied into that whole aesthetic and like that, the, the thoughts that were going into the, into the music, but coming from Metallica and all that kind of stuff, a lot of those bands had similar like palm muted sounds. Right. So a lot of that stuff you hear, and for me, like I took lessons and I took a long time to like get relatively good, I guess, and whatever, who knows who's good anymore. But so when we started doing bands, I was like, well, why don't we do, and I, obviously we're not, the, so many bands did this, but like we wanted to do that kind of thing where we talked about something important, but we were going to play metal. There were bands that did that. I mean, there was like a ton of bands that influenced us but like that whole metal core thing which kind of sounds crappy now but i think that was an outgrowth all it was was like guys that like grew up on metallica that actually cared more about like a punk hardcore aesthetic so they took you know aspects of the of the musical styles that they liked from younger years added it to actually talking about something that was important i guess mm-hmm. so like it's so weird to me to hear the term metalcore used the way it is now because it's yeah. like almost like a fashion thing right. and that's not how it was like when we when that whole thing to me first started it was literally like metal it's hardcore with metal sound so like your your eye your aesthetic your D, your diy your attitude everything's hardcore or whatever and like a hardcore play, punk band that's playing yeah, metal sounds you're a, yeah. That's it. You're a hardcore yeah. punk band that's playing metal sounds. And so that's where all that stuff started for me. And it was, man, am I so glad I was at the, there at the time because it so, is, it was so yeah. exciting. Well, there's so much there and, and like, there's something where as you get into that, the, the, the power of it, you know, Van Halen is just party music for everybody. ACDC stadium rock for everybody. Even Led Zeppelin is this outside thing for everybody. And even Metallica is just like darkness for everybody. Yeah, and then it gets more narrow, and then when mm-hmm. it gets more narrow, these movements and other layers of meaning. Which so you have all that. You have the the guy, the singing, the voice, the sound, the v- venue. You have all these layers of detail, and one of them is like a larger movement, whether it's veganism yeah. or straight edge or punk aesthetic or Christianity. Or, or, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and and they they actually start to add 
meaning and value and get people lined up in the same directions, whether or not you wind up staying straight edge, you probably don't, yeah. most people, they never do. But that's still yeah. part of the alignment at the critical time to get people moving mm-hmm. in the same direction in these positive ways. You know, yeah. we, we certainly don't have those types of things today. Like, I feel a big yeah. lack of that. Like, there's yeah, fan there's- communities isolated and stuff, but there's not that... A line. I mean, there probably is on uh, an underground level that I'm not even aware of uh, in some way that's going to percolate. But you know what I mean? It's uh, we have an all time low of that. It feels like right now. So I, I kind of agree. I actually, I think, I mean, I see a lot of the bands like doing the musical style of what they remembered, but mm-hmm. there's not really like a community in that aspect. It's more of a community that's appreciating what that stuff was musically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it's just nostalgia yeah. for the musical style, but it really yep. was a bunch of cylinders firing that mm-hmm. made the music really good, but also the other layers of meaning and alignment and scene building. And it was almost like in stand-up comedy, you have open mic and you're working it out. You have that whole scene of development that was pure and real and intrinsically valuable. And then yeah. it just became industry at some point, you know, but yep. Yep. Um, how, what was your first interface with uh, the Christian thing? Christian metal, solid state, tooth and nail, whatever you say, that that part of it. Well, I think, so that whole thing that I got into, which was really high school time, um, I always knew and always was close with uh, Dan and Russ and Brett and all those guys. Like we all came from that same, like a very close, like 40 mile square area. Um, And all of our bands played together. It didn't matter. Like, that's another thing that was cool. Like back then Mm -hmm. it didn't matter about any, anything like everybody just played, (laughs) like nobody cared about any of that stuff. Like as long as like you were cool people, you know, I think that it was pretty open for everyone, which is cool. Cause you had band, like a metal band on one, on the same show as like a, you know, like completely pretty emo band. Like it didn't matter back then. Uh, But I knew all those guys. So the band I started in, in that scene was pretty anti-religious, but we all respected everyone to the point where like we had our differing opinions and we would obviously voice our differing opinions, but we would have no problem with playing shows with anybody. Like we would just play shows with everybody. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and same in point when Zayo would play. Now this is like pre Brett. Cause we knew of the band prior to when Brett, Russ, and Dan joined too. So I, Jesse I knew and Sean Jonas. Jesse, Sean, yeah. Roy, and Mick. Yeah. They were so good then too. They were just solid and, and really, really tight. So like whatever difference that you felt was it whatever, like we were still able to go, wow, these guys are good. <laughs> like this is a pretty awesome. Um, especially like with back then because Earth Crisis was kind of coming up in their own. So like I feel like that earlier Zayo stuff kind of had a, a sort of sound like that, like a little metallic and whatever. So we could appreciate all that stuff. And there was never any bad blood or anything. Um, but I personally like tended to kind of like f- move towards those guys a little more because I knew Russ and uh, from high school, I've known Russ longer than anybody, like actually Russ and Marty. And it's weird. Cause like Russ and or Marty and Jeff are considered like the new guys, but like yeah, Marty and Jeff time. were th- they are there. I mean, they, those dudes were like in my formative years. Like That's Jeff awesome. was in, yeah, Jeff was in bands that in high school when I was in high school, um, Marty was in bands with us back then. So like this whole community has been here for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, like I tended to like start my friend kind of circle broke from the band I was in and I was getting close to like Russ and Dan and all those guys. And then when Brett 
decided to do the Juliana theory, Russ came to me and he's like, he, he was a fan as I was a fan of his bands prior to him joining Zayo. But Russ came to me and said, Hey, look, Brett's leaving. Um, I love all the stuff you did with the other band. Um, do you have any interest? Do you have an interest in playing with us? And I obviously was totally excited for an opportunity. I saw a band. Now there wasn't any money still, but I saw a band like that was had unbelievably a good foothold and like a start. Like it really felt like if I join this thing, this could be a th- actual band. Like this could be something that I don't know what money would be there. It wasn't even my concern, but like I could, we could actually be on tour and maybe since they're on a label, we just wouldn't have to lose money. It was already <laughs> blood and fire was already out and there was blood people and fire loved was, it. Yep. I mean, tens of thousands of people already knew and loved it. So when they would go places, there would be, you know, yeah, hundreds, you, hundred people. Well, like, I, well, well, how many people would when, show up in those days? I do remember. In, I do remember in Liberate days. I mean, we were still. It was still a fight. It was still a struggle. I think a lot of the the videos. Well, I mean, obviously too. Like we had the whole thing of like Brett leaving, so that became a thing, and people weren't sure how this new thing was going to be, how the new record would come out. Like it was before, like before we actually got started recording liberate we were writing those songs because we did start writing immediately right when i joined the band we were uh writing so zayo was still working like that i mean even with when brett and russ and dan were in the i mean they were working those guys toured like eight months out of that year i mean they were killing themselves and there wasn't i mean they would play shows to like 20 people sometimes and then when i joined every once in a while we would get some pretty awesome offers for bigger shows or we would get offers for like festivals, but like there would still be a lot of shows that we would play on our own where there wouldn't be many people. Um, you know, like I remember playing like a good show back then when I joined was like anywhere from like 50 to 150 people. We were super excited, mm-hmm. which is like funny. Cause that's kind of how we are now again. Like I'm excited <laughs> when there's 150 people, but so, um, it was, a, it was definitely a fight. We're still fighting and still working hard to get people to pay attention to us. And then the Liberate came out. And I think when that came out and people saw, oh, okay, this is, this is good. This is going to be a good. This isn't like they're not losing a step. They're, they're still momentum in the band. There's still movement. Um, and then I, we started to see a build. And then everybody, you know, we stayed together for a good bit of time that we worked really, really hard and we got moving. Um, and then all this drama started happening. We're like Russ left, Dan left for a little bit, came back, Corey sang for us all that circle of time, um, which is such a blur to me now, which is super unfortunate because yeah. now being in my forties and I look back on that time, like, Oh God, there's just such a waste of, of time. Like it was, there was so much wasted potential and so much wasted drama. And so, and it was all because we were kids and we were just learning how to do everything. Yeah. I mean, so big personalities, man. Yeah. You know, like, so the really for you to come in and replace, replace Brett, I mean, Brett is a huge figure, a powerful person and a powerful writer and Mm -hmm. everything and attention on stage and, you know, personality off stage. There's so much. And then, and that's in the same band with Jesse. And, and it's just like, I, that obviously is a lot. And you come in there, immediately write stuff for Liberate, which you can hear. I mean, you, you, I really hear what you brought to that 
formula and it's it's and mm-hmm. i think it's terrific so you're able to jump in there replace that and then become an anchor of stability in that place so that to me is a super fascinating um storm to step into and honestly it's stabilized over time right yeah i think my personality is maybe you know to the detriment of me but like i'm pretty easy going super easy going i have zero ego i hate like people say that like i don't i i literally I just never have had it, never won it, have no reason for it. I'm, I'm happy when people are f- happy. Like I, I, I'm a, I'm sort of a people pleaser, which could be bad, but so when I came in the band, I think the one nice thing for Jesse was that since Jesse was such a personality, I was more of a guy to like level it and even it all mm-hmm. out. So like, I wasn't there like Brett might've been, which I don't know this for sure, but I think like you said, those two personalities, no matter what are going to have, are they going to butt heads, even if they don't want to be mean to each other. When you did, have did you that, see that video that Brett made with the cartoon? <laughs> you thought, I looked that up if you haven't seen it. I thought it was just awesome. But yeah, I was curious funny. your reaction to that. Yeah, that, uh, here's the thing. The funny thing is, is I remember when he put it up and I'm like, ah, I know exactly what's going on. Number one, as you know, the rule in the van is whoever drives gets to pick the music. Mm-hmm. So like, if you want to change the music, there's a real easy way to do that. Drive. Volunteer to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. the driver. Cause like, here's the thing. The driver's like doing everybody a favor and like, man. So like we knew who drove all the time. It was just funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that, like, like, that's, what's cool. Like you can look back on that stuff. Like I don't, I look back on a lot of that, that turmoil and it was a, I mean, it was a growing and a learning experience and like, you know, all that stuff. And like I said, you know, now with everybody's personalities, like all of us, you know, are super good friends. Like I love where everything has landed, you know, even with like the, the new version of whatever of Zayo now, um, and which Jeff is an unbelievably integral part of everything we do. Um, but like, we have made it abundantly clear and made it like a, a, a mission of ours that like, it's important that all of the original members are talked about, are seen, are not left out of anything. So we, you know, we hunt everybody down when we're going to do anything that would involve those older records, which we've been doing some of those reissues, as you know, um, you know, Jeff really spearheaded the whole thing of getting a hold of all these guys, making sure that they get the money they're deserved for that kind of stuff. And like, we really want to make sure like it's like a whole family type of situation. I talk to Jesse pretty regularly. He's a busy guy. So like, but I talked to Jesse, Rob, um, Roy, a lot like Mick, Sean, we, Sean actually came to one of our shows, uh, Eric reader That's talks. Great. I mean, we just make sure that everybody is feels and understands that this is, you know, even differing opinions as a family. So, um, but yeah, whatever. So yeah, the, the stuff with, with the bread video was, it it was funny, but I think he was just, you know, telling a funny story. I thought it was a creative and funny way and gave a window into what that culture, what, you know, band culture, band culture. People say it's Mm -hmm. crazy and you get fights. Sometimes it's silly stuff, but it's just as intense as anything, you know? Yeah. I think people get that picture. That's right. Cause it's like the, the fight was ridiculously stupid. You can look back now and laugh as how dumb it is. But when you're in a van with somebody for, you know, nine hours yeah. and you're playing shows and you're on tour for like a week and a half and you have exhaust coming in your face and you have this and you have that and like all the different stresses of all that stuff, 
it just boils over in the dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, you've set the stage really nice for a bunch of good stuff and the way you see Zayo as that kind of entity as a family. And I want to do more of that, but let's talk about at, now that you've gotten into this culture, you're in Zayo. What are your favorite three songs in the tooth and nail solid state catalog? All right. So the one I further seems forever has been a favorite band of mine since I was on the label. I love that band from the beginning. Like I, the Chris Carabi years, the Jason Gleason years love, like I just love that band. But to me, that record with John Bunch is just on another level. And it really ups, it, it upsets me a lot about the situation and, and what has happened with John. Um, but it upsets me even more that that record isn't revered, you know, as the Caraba Moon is Down one is. Um, so I, my, one of my, it might be the top song for me, but make it a part on Hide Nothing. That, that song, Oh, it just, it does everything I want a song to do. Um, and John's lyrics, this, just the music. And that's the thing about further. I've always loved too. like the intricacy of that, the guitar work, like, and I mean, coming from a band like, like, cause they were formed from strong arm. So like strong arm had that, like, I don't know how to explain it. Just this weird, like way of, of rhythm. And, and further does it so well where it's like, if you feel like you're doing, you're going four, four, but it's not the guitars are weaving in weird ways. And I've always loved that band for that stuff. But, but yeah, that John Bunch record blew my mind when it came out, still blows my mind, still something I listen to pretty regularly. think further has an element to it where they were technical but catchy and you couldn't hear anything predictably or know what it was going to be mm-hmm. yet it's catchy i like, know wow so they they jumped out way ahead of everybody on that capturing that and then it was off and running from there but i think that's just yeah i totally agree with that and i think yeah, john I love- was great and never got yeah never really got the right consideration it's a weird band to have three singers like that that's a weird situation yeah. And it's weird too to see like how well those records did like as they like they all three of them are great records um mm-hmm. and yeah I, I don't know if maybe they had more stability in the singing if they would have blown up even bigger or like does a band like that need to blow up bigger I, like that's another thing i always think about because like zeo gets tagged out with a lot like a lot of our fans obviously that know who we are like man you guys are just are huge and like does that even really matter like we're not as big as like some of the bands from that time period but like i would rather like there are people that i respect that respect me isn't that cool like i'm happy with that that's a great way to put it that's a great (laughs) way to put it yeah it's like you want to feel validated but on your own terms not by a a volume of people you know 
It's like if yeah. you can know who you respect, that then you can know that you have respect from. That's that is more important than a number of some people that say you're their favorite band or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great, but yeah, I don't. I think being bigger doesn't necessarily make it any better. You know. Yeah. Take your time, and when you're ready, hit me with another song. So yeah, so Starflyer '59, that band, just awesome band, awesome band. I remember when we first got into, when I first got into Zao, it uh, like people don't realize none. Like we listen to like some metal in the car, but a lot of the stuff we listen to is just more like that. So yeah, so the Starflyer '59 song. I love off of fashion focus is it's called all the time. I love that song. And that record was the one that, like, it's weird because I remember coming to the Tooth and Nail uh, headquarters, and they were like, you know, you guys, blah blah blah, pick whatever you want out, and like, you get some CDs and all this kind of stuff. And I remember getting that because Russ told me if you like, because I was a huge Sunny Day real estate fan, and he's like, if you like Sunny Day, you should give Starflyer a shot because they have that kind of same. And I'm like. When I listened to it, I was like, it doesn't sound like Sunny Day at all, but I really, really, really like this. And that record was one that we listened to a lot in the van. Um, I mean, that whole record has some pretty awesome songs on it. And um, it, it's weird because, like, I did, I remember coming, like, especially when I joined Zayo, like, I started listening to more like that Sunny Day stuff. So, so a lot of that kind of thing, that earlier, like, emo stuff was what we were kind of all into, even though we were playing all this totally violent, music um but i remember listening to that record a lot on those first couple tours um and i know jesse was a fan like it and it was cool because we were like well these guys being label mates was always pretty neat to find because i mean you know how it is it's it's really hard to find bands that you like are fan of you know what i mean like i'll because i'm sure you're in the same boat as this where you'll like you'll go on tour with a band right and you like them, you like their songs, you like them as a live band, you love them as people, but you're not like a fan of them, mm-hmm. or you weren't prior, and then like you become a fan of them because you got to meet them and all that stuff. Yeah. So Starflyer was like one of that, like I didn't really like who is this? I didn't know, and then I got that CD and I just listened to the crap out of that CD. Yeah, it's 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 like you automatically have this reason to not like you know that if they're your peers they can't be you don't think you're that good so they can't be better that good either or something yeah. it's like they're not it's legendary cuz you're not legendary you're just playing yeah. and they're playing with you and so they're like competition in some sense or something yep. so they you, you're not going to say you know I'm not going to say well Amberlin's the best fucking band in the world like uh, when I'm on tour with them I'm not going to th- awesome. I'm not going to want to think that <laughs> or whatever you know like yeah, but yeah, yeah. they're I think yeah they're really good like we're really good but they, you know yep. Starfire and Zayo those are legendary bands because they're before <laughs> us so that's Which just the, the way it feels but in time sometimes you can come to ha- take a, a a younger band or somebody that you would think is some stupid shitty l- opener and then 
mm-hmm. over time, you could be forced into a situation where you come to love them and then go, oh my gosh, these guys are, ge- this is a genius right here. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that, that's, yeah, that's, a fun that's happened. Thing. Yeah. That's happened. But yeah, so I love, I love that record. And then Pedro the Lion, which it still blows my mind that that record came out on Tooth and Nail because I, I love all the stuff that Bazan's done now. Like I love Pedro after he did all the whole, but the whole EP, I remember getting that because same thing, like these guys are like, no, you're going to like this because we kind of know what you listen to. And almost there, that song, man. Unbelievable. Such, uh, just unreal. unreal. And like this simplistic perfection. Like I think Bazan has just, there's just something that guy magically has where like the songs are just so simple, but they're so perfect. And his like melody, his choice of note and the way he writes his his vocal melodies and like, and then on top of that, you got this lyricist that's just, he's able to convey like every weird thing you feel, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> yes. he felt it, because he's been there. like. Bazan's one of those guys that like especially like coming from a scene like we all did and then like I mean I don't think he's even come out of it as as maybe as much as I have but I still really appreciated his viewpoint I really appreciated when he started to question things and I think that it helped me a lot to like understand well you know this is this is what what a lot of people go through and like I, I, I love seeing just personal impression like personal his his whole understanding of what that meant for him and and he was he's so good at writing that it really helped and really made, helped me understand dude that song is the is one for me if i give my favorite three it's one of those i'm sure i mean yeah. really further starflyer zayo and the holy p like as far as tooth and nail catalog that stuff's I mean, you mentioned Sunny Day, too, but I mean, that's all the stuff. Those are like the exact things that were my expansion beyond Radio Rock. I mean, it's an, yeah. a, a Kid Rock has a heavy song. Uh, wait a minute. The, Pedro the Lion has a, a heavy song where he's screaming, yeah. but it's so <laughs> empty. And I didn't even know you could do a song like that. I didn't know you were allowed yeah. to do that or what I'm listening to on Liberate. Like, I didn't know you were allowed to do those things. I had no I know, clue. So those it. are like two extreme. Like, if I said, "What well, heavy screaming screamo," I'm thinking 
Liberate and almost there and said, all yeah. right, we need to ban based off those two things. And that's yeah. Emory. <laughs> <laughs> I know, dude. And further, that like, perfect? that's just put those three together and you got Emory. I mean, that's all yeah. it is, you know? No, I, I love it. I love it. That's what, And that's what's so cool about music is like, you know, I, I had somebody ask us about, well, how do you feel about being influential? And it's, it's an impossible question because like, how are you influential? I'm not influential. I was influenced by tons of things. There's so many bands that like, that are what Zayo is now. Like, you know, we, we took from so many different places, so many bands before us that were so influential to us. So it's like, and you know how it is, Matt, it's, it, does, it feels weird for people to say that about what you're doing because you realize like, I am literally a combination of so many things mm-hmm. and without any of those pieces, none of this stuff works. Yeah, well, for I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't like land with me if somebody says I'm influential or man, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I basically disregard those types of comments because I can just tell you how I came up with the idea to copy Zayo, and why would you give me credit for that? You know, <laughs> well, I can dude, explain and, and how then, we got to what we did. It was it kind of simple. It doesn't have to be, you know. It's just that, that's all it is. That's what we say. Like, oh, well, yeah. we listen to like Carcass Heartwork. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's where. I know what I want to ask you. Another, right, because I have all that music lumped together with the music you're creating, but for instance, the on Savannah, and I've told you this before, but that part on Savannah where it drops down to the slow and goes to the distorted bass and the drums mm-hmm. and the guitar, that's I, that's my f- favorite musical moment of heavy music. <laughs> that's the, that's the one, like, if I've got to find something that's heavy and feels, oh my gosh, blows my mind away, that's it. That's still, I still have to go back to that now to get, what the fix of what I know I need to go try to make. Like I referenced that spot. You tell me how that moment got created. How that well, everything back then was was almost like a happy accident. So, I mean, we had the song written. We knew that's what we wanted to do. Obviously, um, how it happened is just totally accidental. Um, and I don't even know why it sounds good at all because we were using for that record. I think. Rob had an old Ibanez fretless and it wasn't a fretless made fret. It was like, if somebody took the frets off and made it a fretless bass, I don't know. And this, I don't know how that dude knew where the notes were. I mean, there were little lines, so I guess he was able to, but, but with a fretless, like you, those things are just so weird and hard to play, but he had a fretless bass. And I just remember, I forget what, distortion pedal we had but i mean i really do have to credit barry and and um like barry pointer and jason magnuson for like everything every reason why zeo sounds good for on those old records those guys like made it happen and i remember we were listening to 
there was a band called Bark Market. They never got like super big, but they were like this really weird avant-garde kind of heavy band. But it wasn't heavy like you would think. It was it if it, it almost sounded like the guy had like not a lot of distortion and he had a strat and he just hit the guitar so hard that it made it distorted. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to Bark Market and when we did that bass break, we were like, we just want this to be so ugly and nasty like it has to be it has to come in and almost like overpower every guitar that was on there and we wanted it to just be the most there's this ugly distorted thing like that bark market record had Mm -hmm. and barry and jason made it happen and then we've tried to recreate it live for how many years and we still don't do it as well as but even the composition of the setup for that moment and then what comes after is just so strong and it's so but there again it's like a david bazan thing it's so simple it's three notes it's a descending note like it's it's like a tried tone or whatever it on one string and it is so simple yet so effective because mm-hmm. it is like and i think too like jeff we've talked about this you know those like some of that like really simplistic older zeo stuff like on blood and fire and and Liberate got a little more intense, but I mean, there were still some simple big things, but those, those songs, the simple aspect of them make them so sonically huge. Mm-hmm. The, the simplistic notes I, I, I just think like when you can have like some simple stuff, you can make it huge and it, it it's very impactful. Yeah. So you've, you know, you've, integrated into this thing this entity that is zayo which you already understand because you're not an original member you come Mm -hmm. in in this way that you describe which i agree and affirm um not as a bragging thing but uh, not identifying as an ego person um a stabilizing force a real musical contributor because your guitar style is very clear all the way through to the new album but starting at liberate there um how did you see and how does somebody like that that's not the traditional leader like front man or big personality you wound up in a role that feels to me what i think a lot of bands have and i i've i've heard it called the quarterback before i don't know if there's a better term but it's like uh tim from under oath is kind of like that sometimes people say i'm like that in, in our band but it's like decision making and understanding the whole and the totality and guiding the entity across time or something like that. So how the decisions get made and what is stabilized. And, you know, it seems like you've played that role in Zayo as like a central figure role, you know, especially across the longevity from Liberate to today. So disconfirm that if I'm not reading that right, but that is kind of my understanding. Um, I mean, I don't, I feel weird to like accept that as as a thing but in what ways are you a leader in zeo it seems clear that you are in in some ways is all i'm saying yeah well so i would i would say that like that leadership role definitely evolved and changed so like i can kind of give you an my perspective of where i or what i would have been considered when i joined to a year after i joined and then I would say that year after I joined for the rest of the time of like the Jesse, uh, me, Dan, Rob time. And then I would say like my leadership role really changed and 
and like flipped overnight after Jesse and Rob left. I see. Yeah, so let's walk I do, through all that. That's great. Stuff. Yeah. So I do think that when I first joined, I I saw how how Zayo ran. Jesse was for sure the leader of the band when I joined it. Um, he was the guy that kind of kept it moving from the Sean McRoy era, built it back up with Brett, Dan, and Russ. Um, even though Brett came in, and I think Brett had a a, a partial leadership role in in the band, I still think Jesse was kind of like the last say. Um, so when I joined, I didn't want to come in to it with that mentality. Like I literally just was happy to be involved and I didn't think I would be a leadership or I would, I didn't think I would be in a leadership role. Um, but I would hope that eventually guys would like listen to me on, some aspects and, and value my experience from bands prior and all that kind of stuff. So I do think what happened was when I joined the band, all of us were so close and all of us were such fans of each other that Russ and me and Jesse were pretty, like, I didn't feel like I wasn't allowed to just let whatever I wanted out, like writing wise anyway. So like in the leadership role in the writing, I don't think I was like, there wasn't anybody that was making like, yeah, we can't do that. No, no, no. It was literally like, I like that idea. I like that idea. Let's try this. Let's try this. We were all pretty great working together. So there wasn't any one guy that was like, no, we can't do that in the song. It was always pretty comfortable and like, okay. hey, let's try anything. But I do think that like, as we were writing for Liberate, I had a ton of different riff ideas. Russ had a ton of different riff ideas. We'd come to Jesse. Jesse would have some riff ideas. And then Jesse would be really, really good at listening to all of it and helping kind of sculpt where the song was going to go. Um, I think he had a pretty good vision of like, you know, and I think a lot of it came with like his dynamic of how he drummed. So like he knew like we would do a part and he would have a pretty cool opinion on like well this is what i'm going to do with the drums so if i'm going to do this the natural progression for me would be to go here and then sometimes there would even be a situation and and this is pretty impressive because i don't think a lot of drummers do this uh but maybe i'm wrong i mean it's, jeff's kind of sort of the same way i guess too but like i mean jesse would have drum ideas that would then turn into riff ideas so like and it's pretty, you know, that's apparent too with how Lies of Serpents was. Lies of Serpents was a full-on drum idea that Je that that Brett then kind of just rhythmically uh, matched to the yeah to the, yeah to the yeah. So, I think the drums have all the energy in this genre of music. Um, it's, yeah. it's it's the way that I think about drums is the drums have to get the hype right. And yep. so that the singer crushes it and nothing else matters. So, but those two things, it has to be that. And then that other has to happen. And, but the singer can only crush it at whatever he's doing. If the drums contain everything Yeah. that is necessary. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, you're totally right. And so, yeah, so I didn't feel like as weird as it sounds, there wasn't really a leadership role in the writing. It was a very, very awesome collaborative effort. You know, riffs were being any riff you came up with that we that if all three of us liked a riff, we used it and found a place for it. 
Uh, and it was very rare that I would write a riff or Russ would write something or Jesse would write something where we would be, anybody would say no. We were very open, especially with Liberate. Um, but on the business side of it, Jesse was the go-to guy for pretty much everything. Jesse was the guy that was, I mean, he was the one guy that was there from the beginning. Uh, when well, in solid state's mind anyway, because when solid state signed them, Jesse was the continuing thing in the band. So Jesse was always the point man for any uh, you know business situations. Jesse was also the point man at that point for our booking agency when we finally like got to the point where we were going to book have a booking agent. Because I mean, before that, you know, Jesse was doing was booking shows with just contacts that we had or he had i'm sorry um so yeah i think that a lot of like when i joined the band jesse had jesse was kind of the guy jesse had all of that stuff taken care of um so we looked to him in that leadership role at first so that's um interesting because it's a it's a I'm kind of interested in all band cultures and leaderships and politics mm -hmm. and all that. The older I get, the more I realize how many I've been exposed to and how different they all are. And I see the relationships as cousin relationships or whatever. But if you, yeah. you have Jesse is actually a pretty important figure for being mm -hmm. such a DIY person at a DIY time and yep. somehow getting to be like not even the singer or the front man, but really being able to have a, a outward leadership role with fully connected all the way through to all the different things on all that level. So he's a prototype. And I mean, I know there's a lot of DIY people, but especially for a non front man to be mm -hmm. getting that type of attention and guiding the riffs. And of course he got unbelievable attention live just in the performance alone. He was drawing sure. oh, you yeah, know, yeah. attention like crazy. So, and mm -hmm. then he was able to have this style of leadership that didn't even have to be the front man. And uh, then we see other drummers in, that wound up in the scene. Once you have a screamer or a second vocalist, and you start having multiple members like that. We've seen some drummers, you know, do amazing things or be singers like Aaron Gillespie and, the yeah. other, and like a Trey U and stuff where there's just, you know, you get that drummer personality out there and they're, sometimes they're doing vocals beyond that. And, and, they're the, and it comes out of being do it yourself, book, get it done no matter how. It's not the kind of thing that would emerge in a bit in the larger system of mm -hmm. rock stadium rock bands. You know, it's all it's all utility based. So it's these yep. utility based leaders that emerge, and then so you come into a band that has this really strong utility leader. Yeah, um, in a crazy situation. So I think that's just worth pointing out that you come in. Yeah, I guess I'm maybe this is unfolding as you as Jesse's going to transition out. You're filling some gap here of a utility leader that was already there yeah yeah i think so i think well the nice thing too and you know i i will always credit jesse for this like i think a lot of the things his personality is way way at at that point was really really strong right we all know how that is and i've never been that type of personality i'm right. not like super loud like not super loud. like I'm just not out there. I'm not yeah, super yeah. out there as a, as a personality. I think the distinction is clear, I think. For, for, yeah. And, you, and it's so, not to tiptoe around Jesse being a big figure or no, I don't know no, what no, no. words there are out there, but I think everybody understands that. Yeah. So like Attention he had a very, seeking maybe is fine yeah. to say, right? Yeah. Big personality. He just yeah, had a big, big personality. personality, which is why, I mean, that's a lot of why people love the dude, you know, because he is like Magnetic. when you, yeah, like he is. I, I, I 
oh god he would be he's so funny man like he'd be the center of attention sometimes when we would hang out with all the other bands like he would just he was always on it was really really awesome when it was awesome like it was great so but he was a yeah, very big personality but i learned a lot of that background stuff because i, I, I like you i i've always been weirdly interested in all the all the background stuff like i still get like super excited and giddy about like getting gear out you know putting it on stage the sound check is like my one, one of my favorite things to do like i love you're engaged of, every time yeah like i love all the all the things that you have to do to make the thing happen Intrinsic i've always yeah like that, i've yeah. always loved it just like how we now with how me and jeff i mean and like i said we're we're in a situation again where jeff is such a not a big personality but utility man holy shit that dude's like unbelievable with the work he does but so like i love all that background stuff like and i've always wanted to be involved in every every aspect of of the band so like and this is what makes now so exciting because we are we're the label so i get to like be involved in how every little tiny thing happens with the cover art every little tiny thing we're like so involved in the pressing of our records we're like you know every little tiny thing that happens in the band like we have we have complete control over and we get to be involved in it mm -hmm. and it isn't because like we're dicks and we don't want nobody to do anything no it's like we value what we do so much that i want to be able to know everything that happens that doesn't mean we're doing it all it means that we're picking people and involved with people that we know can get it done in the way we want it done and we're we work with people that we, we can build awesome relationships with. So there's so many cool things about that. The intentionality Jesse, all comes from you guys, as opposed to yeah. when you, I remember when we first made the first record, it was like, oh my gosh, the most Herculean effort ever to write 10 songs, get them all the way done, get somebody else to record them, and they sound yep. good. Like mm -hmm. we've climbed the biggest mountain ever, and then I realized we don't know how to dress, we don't have any, the first thing about art, <laughs> I can never understand what you should, like somebody said, well, you gotta have an album cover, and it's like, well, how would I know okay. anything? You know, and so then over time, you 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 be. I didn't. I'd spent all my effort just trying to understand chords and beats and stuff. And then yeah. over then over time, you begin to learn more skills. And now I love to have intention with our artwork. It's like yeah. That I've but it's taken me almost this long to onboard all of the types of skills that I need to be able to have enough intention to not need a a label, a scene, a way to do things. Yep. All but yeah. all those things were part of the bootstrapping. That there was, yes. there were other ways to get those things done when we couldn't have done them and didn't understand them and had no yeah. attention on any of those layers. Luckily, we had a scene. We had, yeah. you know, all those things to share. And then the farther you get in maturity, if you can stick around long enough, you could begin to have intention at mm -hmm. layers that nobody ever imagined we would ever be able to. And that is really gratifying and gr yeah, yeah. growth that's intrinsically valid the whole time you're. It's a process, you know. So it's yeah. the best part. No, you're right. So yeah, like all that kind of stuff, like a lot of the background business stuff, I, I did learn a lot from him. And then I would be able to watch and see, you know, where we were making mistakes, not that Jesse was making mistakes, but where we were making mistakes as a band. And it's, I think every single band, when you're young, you make the same mistakes. So you realize one of the things that I think is the most shocking realization to me now compared to back then is that no one 
there's not like a rule book. And back then you didn't, I mean, like you said, I was just worried about writing a riff. Like I wasn't worried about all the other stuff, but like all of the, the, all of the financial disparities that all of us complained about for so many years, it takes getting into the business of it to, to actually learn and realize that most of that was my fault. Most of that was our fault. There were things that we never did that you're supposed to do that nobody ever told you how to do that you, you know, too young to care about. But like, we didn't sign up for our publishing company. We didn't sign up for an IPO number. We didn't sign up for a place for our mechanicals to go to. All of these things that you didn't know about, the business side of it is all the things that we didn't understand and nobody really showed you how to do especially if you could not afford like management couldn't afford to have people like that, like lawyers and all that kind of stuff involved in your band. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of those mistakes, I don't blame anyone. I blame a system that kind of wants to keep you kind of in the dark. That's sort the, of. That's, I, I would use the word. I've been thinking about this recently. I'm so happy to be, have somebody to talk to about that understands. I think <laughs> that the industry and the business likes to depends on keeping artists immature. Yes. The word I, so they don't become fully formed organizations that know how to handle themselves and, and therefore comport to different other industries in different ways. They yes. depend on arrested development yes. occurring in, you know, and so they, you can't do it all. There's no way the people that can do the riffs and write the music and at the pulse of the scene that are 20 years old, that are crazy, artistic, open people that are doing all this are going to be able to do everything. So they're correct that they need help. They need management. You need a label. You sure. definitely need stuff. But at that point, you stop the pain of development in those areas for yourself. You don't get to yep. experience the pain and then it's, then it's a blame game and it's politics and uh, absolutely the management does this or they don't, but it's not, yep. so not my fault. Well, that's why you need a businessman. And it's just on and on and on. Yeah. It's and a so, cycle and a circle of like, Oh, well, this is what you should have done. How is this my fault? Yeah, right. exactly. So and you can't learn unless you're, you know, it threatens your career. Cause when it's time to pour the gas on, you better get a full team and be on tour and nailing it. Like, there's only this window, so all yep. that makes sense. But as soon as you're in bed with whoever it is because you don't have the competence and intention and you know you don't, well, you also stop developing right there. Yeah, yeah. And that's why like, I think it's so – I mean, it, it's not easy. And, and we – I mean, as Zayo, you know, we'll never discount the importance that our band had with the labels we were on, you know, tooth and nail solid state built the band and helped us build that name. They got us to places that we would have never gotten our name to period. Um, we're honestly indebted to a label like that. And then when we signed a ferret there again, resources were used. Mm -hmm. They were exploded up, you know, made, got us to places where we never thought we could ever get. Um, all those things are important. It's just sad that unfortunately whoever's dealing with the businesses of making the money for your records the last thing they're really worried about and it's not anybody's fault but the last thing they're worried about is you getting yours because why would that matter to them you got to get your own right mm -hmm. so 
but when you start, when you do what we do now, owning our own label and seeing how money gets taken out, seeing how money should be dispersed, understanding how, what you have to do as a, as an individual, even to where you have to make sure you're correctly. I mean, and even the places that are there to help you get your money don't make it easy either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like sound exchange is not super easy to understand. It's not like, <laughs> you know, it's not like, Hey, just put your name in and you get your check. No, like you literally have to spend hours and hours and days of spreadsheets, making sure every single song in every territory that you might ever hear it played is here. And but so it's not easy at all. It's, yes. Most people are going to get into that and go, I don't even give a shit if I get paid anymore because who cares? And at some certain levels, there the administration barrier, the red tape is higher than the what you can yep. the returns from. And it's and it's crushing, it really is. mentally yep. crushing to go through yep. that to find yep. that. And then, you know, people it's 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 really can be crippling. And part of that, I really blame the complexity of the regulation on the government and industry and every other level in the name of helping artists. Yeah. Like that's super, why it, we have all these things and the mechanical. Oh, and that, but you, from your point of view, you go, okay, we make money. The money goes here at this point, the, all that other stuff's out of the way. It's like, why can't we just have what comes in? It could draw a straight yeah. line. You can sell online tickets. You can stream and get the money. Like all the other things that are legally required of how money works and where it goes and what percents and the protections put in. Um, Th- those themselves have become a, a type of barrier that that's difficult, and in the name of helping artists and probably sure. well intentioned, but it's complicated in a way mm-hmm. that's now bad for everybody or bad. Yeah, for the it artist, doesn't. You know. Yeah. So yeah. the consolidation of those things or fixing them would cut out tons of people and I, I, tied to lobbies and labels yeah. and old systems. I mean, it's all, all of it. in that. So it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it's actually totally disheartening, and that's why I think most people don't even bother with it because it's so disheartening. But if you can get through it, and like I said, you know, we have a guy like Jeff that's that's so on with so much stuff. Like it's just unbelievable that like we've been able to figure all that stuff out. We've worked and worked and worked for so long to get everything figured out, and and we're in a place now where like it's all good. And not only is it good for us, we as our band today have went back in and made sure that all of the former members have this set up. Mm -hmm. So we want everybody to make what they're supposed to make and everybody to get what they're going to get. So we make sure that, you know, now that we're having reissues being made, you know, we're getting a hold of people. Hey, make sure you're signed up here make sure you're done. You put this here. If you want to send over this stuff to us, we'll make sure that it gets to the place it needs to get. Uh, We're going to take this and we're going to make sure you get this. And, you know, so I love where we're at as a business now. But back to my leadership role, I do think that what ended up happening was Jesse was, was really getting burnout from the band. I think that like the later years that he was in the band, I, I could tell that he wanted, he wanted something, he wanted to change, but that's really, really hard when you have built and spent years of your life making this one thing. And this is the one thing you're known for. And as you know, Matt, when you're in music, the chances that anybody's going to give a shit about anything else you do is almost zero. Like, <laughs> no matter what, you could be the sickest damn band ever. And then, like, you go do something side project wise, very rarely does anybody care. Like, there are some instances where people do, and it's shocking, but like, 
the fear of leaving something that's established to do something that you actually really want to do. That fear is palpable, man. And I would never have, I mean, I know that's why Jesse just slugged along for as long as he did, even though he really yearned to like write his own music and he's such an artist and he wanted to do the, all these things himself, but he didn't want to, you know, to lose what he worked so hard for. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think that there were things that happened in the band. I'm going to take blame for it. I was driven. I saw the only way to continue with this because I, this was what I wanted to do. Like I, I play guitar the way I do because I've always wanted to be in a band that was heavy, no matter what. Like I never wanted to not be in a heavy band. Like this, this was my dream. And this is what I've, envision for myself i didn't really see myself doing side projects really even though i have tiptoes and like stuff like that but i never really like my drive was always to be in a heavy band so and i think jesse was way more open and he wanted to you know experience yeah like he wanted to experiment in like all kinds of different genres of music and he wanted to sing so bad and he like took years and years of his life to like really get really good at singing and like work himself to become a songwriter. He didn't want, like he didn't want his only outlet musically to just be this loud, aggressive drumming thing. Mm-hmm. He had so many different aspirations. So the guy, more, yeah. yeah, he wanted to play guitar. He wanted to sing. He wanted to do all this stuff, play piano, like be a, be a, like a solo artist, songwriter guy. But forcing and, every, just a side note to force every bit of that drive and ambition and expression in to drumming for heavy music yes to force all that into that one thing and its interactions and just the what it, turning the drums around backwards or wearing whatever eyeliner doing whatever thing just the thing if you could laser beam all of jesse into that one role it's the foundation of like something just it's just something unbelievable absolutely i mean that's yeah, just like hard think, to deny that that's, that's i mean it. it's, and it's so responsible for everything you know oh yeah it's so I responsible t- dude, for so many moments that people in generations are experiencing as copies of that d- don't even know where it comes from. Yeah, but, but I from mean, there. he just <laughs> he had he had so many different inf- influences that he wanted to, to like cram all of those influences and in, into the band. And I think, you know, it did become me and him. It was basically just me and him making decisions. And I I saw all this potential for him. I saw that he wanted to like incorporate all this extra stuff, all these things that he loved, he wanted to incorporate in the band. And I just bullheadedly and unfairly didn't understand how that could work. Um, it sort of did. And I, I, like, I'm shocked. Like, I don't understand how a band like Zayo that's considered what it is considered sound wise to be able to have a song like angel without wings. I just don't understand how that works. Because that's not like Napalm Death can't have a song called Angel Without Wings and sound like Rolling Stones. Napalm, and that's that's what I always likened our band to. Even though I I think I might have missed, probably was wrong, but I looked at Zayo as like, well, we're like we're like the the converge. We're like we're we're like we live in that world where it's like all those bands, and I am totally into experimenting, but I don't see how you're going to do a song that's like GCD straight up GCD chords 
and have Dan scream all over it and how people would like it. And I was wrong because people do like that sort of. So yeah, I like it. I think, yeah. But I, I think like I started just getting really like not angry or like bitter or anything like that. Cause I love the fact that that dude was writing awesome. St- and th- that song is like, you take that song outside of like a Zayo context, man, it's a killer song. Like I, and it is, it's great. I, I, I come to really like it, but, but I think I just started to go like, this isn't like, this isn't what I thought we were like, uh, see, I live in Liberate world. I live in like self-titled world where like we're playing aggressive violent songs like and where you know dan screams so like what's going to end up happening to me and this is maybe unfair of me but i started to get very scared because i'm like okay so if we're going to start writing songs like that how long is it going to be until there's a decision made that well we don't need dan because he screams why don't we get a singer mm-hmm. and then so then then what is zayo then that's then it's dead then it then it, what it needs to be is jesse smith going like what he did and do his solo thing because that's exactly what he was pushing to do in the band and he was getting really good at Mm -hmm. so i could see how he was kind of pulling away and withdrawing because he had all these great ideas and like i was always pushing the ideas away because i was partially not as much into it as he was and also afraid well we're going to totally change the band and if that change means like dan wyant doesn't get to scream like he screams anymore if we're really going to talk about like maybe Dan should get vocal lessons, I'm out of that. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, in making the band what all of us are good at. Dan, as a lyricist, I don't, I hate that I, I don't see his name more. I think uh, there's not a dude I've in any heavy band to me that, that is as poetic and meaningful and authentic dance lyrics are the biggest reason I think the band is where it is and should be. I mean, he, we need to like release books of his lyrics. He just blows my mind every well, day. If, if and, you just pinpoint, uh, and this will give us a place to play the song, but, uh, if you just pinpoint, burn it down and walk away and it's usage. I mean, I don't see how I just don't, I mean that, that, that's like a real discovery that line or something like it's yeah. res, so resonant. Like it yeah. means whatever it means to every person when they hear, it, and everybody knows what it means to them the second they hear that. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean a certain thing, but that's why it's such a brilliant, resonant discovery yeah, like, and usage of a lyric. It's just unbelievable. What I love about it, and Dan does this a lot, is Dan will have his intentions and what his <laughs> lyrics mean to him, but he always writes it in a way that, like you, like burn it down and walk away for him, totally different meaning than me. But it works. It works for everybody. Because all of, yeah, because everybody has that time or has that thing that's in their life that they want to burn down and walk away from.
Dan is just the, the king. He is like the, 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 the fact that I met this guy in this small area that I live in and this, I get to work with this guy. This is the guy that writes the lyrics in my band blows my mind yeah. every day. Yeah. That's, that's it. And I'm like, so, so uh, yeah. And I think what I saw is I just saw like, I saw Jesse like really getting good at all this other stuff. And the only way Zayo was going to actually stay Zayo and keep moving, even though that is different to everybody, whatever. To me, it's heavy. It's Dan. It's that. That's what it is. The only way the band's going to do that and be that is if Jesse gets to go do what he wants to do and we separate and do what we want to do. So my leadership role, I think, changed overnight then because I saw it's, it's either going to die, this thing that we worked really hard is going to die, or it's going to totally change and not be the thing it was. So there again, it's dead. Or I have to make a horrible, crazy, hard decision. And I have to talk to Jesse and see if I can convince him that maybe it's smarter for him or us to like separate somehow. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I don't understand how this is going to work. And I don't know how he's going to take it because like it or not, Zayo is Jesse Smith's baby, period. Mm -hmm. I've always understood that. I've always known that he built it from nothing. He is the reason it got to where it got for our whole existence and all our career. I will always be indebted to Jesse Smith for making, giving me an opportunity and creating something that we're still involved in today. He's the, one of the biggest reasons why it's even still around, but I just didn't see how it was going to work. And the only way I saw it could, the only way I could see it working was if it separated because he, he had so many ambitions and, and, and it, it's not fair to, to stunt him. I didn't, you know, I didn't want, this guy has so many cool ideas. I don't want to like keep shitting on all these ideas just because I think the band should be this way. Like, and is that even fair? There's so many things that happen, but I just, I had, I made a decision and I guess I took the leadership role then. And then what I did after that is we, I came to everybody. So when Jesse left and Jesse just decided himself, he was going to leave. So he left the band. I talked to Rob. I just asked Rob if he has interest to stay or like, do you want to go too? Because I understand Jesse and Rob were really, really close. Jesse and Rob were best friends. And I knew Rob wasn't going to be happy about Jesse leaving, obviously. So I, he made the decision to leave with, with Jesse. And, and then we just started working and I went to Russ and Dan and I said, look, our band is in a sh in shambles, but we can work this out. We can make it happen. We do need some help. I'm going to, I'm going to start talking to people and get on the phone because, you know, Jesse was such a big part of everything we did. Jesse was such a big part of like talking to labels. Jesse was such a big part of, you know, being involved in our booking agencies and our management that we had. Now we went through a bunch of different managers, but luckily after that happened, uh, we had a, a close friend, all of us that, that was close to everybody in the band, which really helped a guy named Ryan Downey went to Ryan. I said, Ryan, I know you talked about starting to manage bands. You're going to manage Zayo and we're going to, we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to get people involved and it's going to have a singular vision instead of a separate visions. We're going to have a singular vision. We're going to know what we want to do and we're going to just work and work and work and make it, make it, what what it should have always been 
and drama free. The one key <laughs> to everything we did after that was like, we have to keep it drama free. I don't want, you know, I don't want personalities to take over, which is why I think I fell into the leadership role pretty, pretty easily because I am so level. It wasn't personality based leadership. Yeah. It wasn't personality. It was, it was basically it wasn't the charisma. Yeah. It was yeah. more of and like, the, Hey, here's what I want to do. But we have four other dudes that I got to make sure everybody's on the same page. So let's talk to Dan. Let's talk to Russ. Let's talk to at that time, Steve, let's talk to Sean. Let's see where everybody is. Um, also I'm, I'm the kind of guy and I've always been this way. I can get upset about people's decisions. Sure. Like secretly I'll be mad, but I know I can't make people do things that they don't want to do. I already, I, I know that you just can't do it. It doesn't happen. So you either get pissed off and ruin friendship or you have to recognize and and give people the benefit of the doubt. So if people make decisions that you're not necessarily happy about, it's not going to help you being mad. And it's not going to help you getting angry with them because it's just going to turn into something that isn't important. So there have been times where, you know, when we finally got things moving in the right direction, funeral God was released. Everything was going great. Steve decided he didn't want to do the band anymore. And instead of me being upset or anything like that, we just said, okay, you, you make it that decision. I actually got that call on my honeymoon. Oh, no. <laughs> we were supposed to go to Europe like a week after I got back from my honeymoon. So that was super fun. But um, Steve called, decided he wanted to leave. I called me, Dan, Russ, and Sean talked. Dan was like, hey, I know this dude named Jeff. <laughs> and we just, we worked through it, but I didn't get mad at anybody. Sean decided to leave. That was his decision. We you know, we had Marty actually working with us for a very long time. Marty was tour managing the Juliana theory for years. And I loved, I saw how he worked with them. I, th I thought he was stellar at that position. So when, when Zaya was able to afford that kind of thing, Marty was hired as a tour manager for Zaya for a pretty long time. And this is when, Je when Jesse was still in the band, he was working with us then too. Um, and then we got to the point where Marty, we, I've known Marty since high school. Marty is also a bass player. So it just made complete natural sense to me to go, Hey, you've always wanted to be in a band. I know metal isn't your thing, but you're good. So why don't we transition you from the tour manager role and play bass and we can still work. You can have a tour manager role to a degree, but you're not going to be pushed into that by yourself. And so we just, we make decisions now with everybody's thing in, in mind, like no, no decisions made since I've taken over that doesn't include everybody's like thoughts. Like we really try, you know, when you're going to make big decisions like on tours or big decisions on anything, it's really important to me that everybody's happy with that decision. Because if you start making decisions and anything, any resentment comes into play, you, we all know where that goes. So it yeah. makes more sense to me to be like, Hey, we're just not going to do that tour. We'll chill out on here. We're going to make everybody happy because then in the long run, we'll still be able to play those tours later down. But what happens if I tell you we have to do this tour? Eh, well, then oh, now no. Dan's mad or Russ is mad or whoever's mad. And then like that builds up, builds up, builds up. And then that's when bands blow up. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like there must, there always has to be for anybody to make it at something long-term, there always has to be some types of rock bottoms that do occur and I, yeah. significant adjustments are made in that person and their organization if no, I mean, that is part of the recipe for it's, it's not, it's not that anybody gets something right and then gets to just last forever. It, it takes 
you know, some really difficult lessons learned to, and then to make it through uh, those times, I think. And I think a lot of the liability, especially in the artistic space, has got to be around uh, charismatic personality driven leadership because it's so, it works so well. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that's almost ignorant, but it just does work. So everybody in the system begins to trust it or cater to it. And then it will become its own enemy at some point because there's yeah. no, you know, everybody knows it's not worth fighting with the person, even if it's in a certain area, even if it's not all encompassing. It's like whoever has the strongest opinion or personality about a thing, it's not worth it to challenge that person in their area. But then again, growth is kind of limited and it, mm-hmm. every problem gets solved the same way. And then, you know, there's these things that eventually turn into, you know, what I heard you describe. There's something like a, I'm not trying to over dramatize it, but it's a power struggles that emerge and they're not, it's not intentional. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just people's path when they're together trying to have an organization. And you can see that the paths diverge. And if you can see that that's occurring, it can't help but be dealt with. And your humility to jump in there and accept responsibility that you have decision-making in that and had to make decisions, and it could have gone different ways. I mean, that's uh, I think that probably instills a lot of trust in you, that the fact that you're willing to admit that difficult stuff and that it could have gone. I mean, there's some other alternate universe, right, where things went differently. For, for, yeah, do probably. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I, t- I definitely agree with all of that. And it, it all, it does seem, it's sort of sad that, uh, you know, you have to like, you have to go through some horrible shit to get to the better parts of things. And I, I just don't know. I don't know what would have, I don't know if we could have, if like things could have been smoothed out or anything like that. No, but, there's no point in entertaining that. Um, and, but just the, the, there's an, something else you said is when you can't make somebody else do something they don't want to do ultimately. Yes. And the, the hard part about that is that you have to then accept your collective limitations as far as you are then involved with that person. So if you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do, and you want to stay aligned with them, then you must accept that. Yes. That you, the, the two of you together aren't going to do that thing. You have to be able to accept that, you know, or, yeah. or make a decision to, to realign the, the, and then that starts to involve other people and then the mm-hmm. other relationships and then money and then fans. Yeah. And, but, well, I, and dude, actually what I think is super interesting too, is to see, like, if you follow what Jesse has done since he's left the band, I mean, Jesse, he's, kind of a he's always been like sort of like an entrepreneur and innovator i mean he's done tons of different other musical acts uh he had jesse smith and the holy ghost does a band now um called serpent uh servant slave that's like more electronic and industrial stuff and that's kind of like a, a thing he's always wanted to do um so the guy's like literally always working and he act, he does um he has a uh what's it called 
he, he does like a candle thing now. Like we, I, cause I talk to Jesse pretty regularly now, which is great. Like we're like really all really close friends. I love it. It's like my favorite thing that all of us are super close. Um, but he does like a candle uh, wax company, like where he, he makes candles. He sells uh, like super high quality, like uh, grain and, and, I mean, the guy's just crazy, man. He's so good at just getting stuff off the ground and moving with it. Um, but yeah, he he's you know he's selling like all kinds of things to like even supermarkets. I mean, he's it's just it's 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 very impressive to see how that guy works. And you know, it, I saw it firsthand in the band. I saw like how how his drive. He's just such a driven guy, and he gets he gets shit done. He does mm-hmm. get it done. Um, like I said earlier, uh, our band doesn't exist. I don't even get to do this anymore. I, I don't get to do anything without that dude, without that, that, that foundation that he, he built for all this stuff. Well, that's, I mean, that's clear. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and then, and it, there's something else that really speaks volumes to your leadership, which is the recognition that, uh, that the entity is larger than the sum of the parts or the individuals that Zayo yes. that's a really, that's counterintuitive to the artist worship, char- charisma, worship, personality, worship, you know, fans and industry cater to that and, and make that really hard. But to realize that it's not just whatever you do that is of value, but it's this thing that has been created and really transcendent is the word. It's gone from bigger than something that's a person, and now it is an entity. Zayo is an entity, and that's clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if all of y'all go away, it can exist, and obviously will now. It's kind of proven. It's going to continue to exist. If all of y'all got hit by the same bus tomorrow, Zayo's going to have a Spotify page and some online embodiment and brand yeah. that will be connected to for I don't know how long, but could be a very, yeah. very long time. And so the recognition that it's this entity that is to be stewarded it yeah. really kind of changes things. And I heard you say you brought when you brought on Downey and you started to externalize the decision making as, mm-hmm. as far as to hoard or contain it or retain mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. It's the thing you had to give that away. And then if things don't go your way, they don't. But at least, you know, it's it's serving or stewarding what Zayo is, which allows the most exciting part is that there's a Zayo today. There's a new mm-hmm. album now. You got it here. And the, the music's just, I mean, it's got. It's my favorite music since Parade of Chaos, and mm-hmm. it reminds me of Liberate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. I, and, and, that, and it was, <laughs> wasn't necessarily foreseeable that I would ever get a Zayo album again that makes me feel this way. There were many years where I thought I wouldn't see that when Jesse left and some thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not judging anything that's happened in or what I've kept up with or no, anybody no, else. No. But in any case, I mean, I, I have always kept up, but I'm saying I'm particularly moved by what I'm hearing now. And it feels like the amount of work that you've been doing has long-term uh, second order uh, compound effects. And it's feeling so good. Things are changing. Things are emerging. And the familiar thing that is the Zayo has been cultivated and stewarded. And it's Zayo all day long when I hear this new album. Love it. I love it. Oh, dude, I'm so glad. I'm, that I, I do... I think, and that's the one thing that's really always been hard to kind of pinpoint for me because I can't explain why this is the way it is. Um, I just feel like there's something about Dan, Russ, and I. And now, I mean, with Jeff and Marty involved, like just the stabilization has helped. I love what you said about 
where we don't, I don't, none of us in the band look at ourselves as anything. We all do give due to the entity that it is. Like I'm, it's a sum of the parts. Like the band doesn't exist without all five people working in tandem. And there's so many things that have to happen to make everything work right. So like, I'm, I'm very happy to recognize that kind of stuff. But I do think that there has been, I've learned from my time with other members and just all these years, learn how to write a certain way. I think that I, my style has contributed hopefully to like what Zayo became or what people did like even back then when I joined, like I, I hope that I had a, something to do with some of that early style that, that has kept up with it. Um, and yeah, I think too, like what I love about the new record is the sense of experimentation. Cause there's a lot of things that we did on this that we probably wouldn't normally have done. Give me an and example. I think, uh, I think there's a song, there's actually a couple songs where there are very long, clean melodic parts. The first song. Well, there's that. Yeah. I mean, very, let's just start the, the there. Opener. The first song yeah. starts with this. Uh, I don't want to use words. You tell me words. How does it start? What's your um, description of the album opening? Um, I guess very melancholy chords. Very melancholy. I mean, everything's sad. Everything. I think everything on the record has some sadness to it. Um, but yeah, I think it, it starts out with a very like orchestrated, clean, melancholy, pretty type of thing. Chris from Under Oath did some of the, all the background things that happened in that very first track. So I credit Chris to making that song as awesome as it is and thank him so much for his, he did such a good job for us. But, um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things like that, that we wouldn't have necessarily, or maybe have shot away from, but you go back to Liberate, how's Liberate start? Liberate starts with that same melancholy type of picked out guitar thing that's just, you know, not not heavy. But what makes that stuff to me heavy is the dynamic. Because you could write the sickest, heaviest song that's ever been. If it's just four minutes of the same heavy, doesn't it not sound heavy anymore? Like once you're all heavy, it's not he everything. Like Meshuggah. Meshuggah is one of my favorite bands, but like, Meshuggah's, you get like through like four songs of a Meshuggah record and you're like, dude, it's just so heavy. It's like, I can't take any more. It's just too heavy all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then it only works if it's, and that works, but then it only works as background. Like you can have it on while you work out. Yeah. Or like, but if you're going to use your attentive focus across time, paying attention to something, then you do need variation. Yeah. And, so and I dynamic. think. The way we like to do it is I like to have some of that dynamic variation. So like the heavy parts are even heavier. The cleaner parts are, they sound cleaner because it just came out of something so aggressive. Um, but this is the first record where I feel like we were really okay with just letting that clean, pretty stuff sit. 
you know, we didn't force it in for a quick little bit and get out of it. We like kind of let a lot of that stuff live and move and breathe. Um, you know, there's a lot of cool ideas like <clears throat> every it's a, it's a, it's an odd thing to bring, bring clean vocals into a heavy band. Um, and a lot of people do it in a way where you want a song structure that works like for a multitude of fan base. So you want maybe the big singing chorus, because that's kind of what the structures that people tend to gravitate towards work. So what did we do? We said no singing choruses. I'll sing, but we're not going to sing choruses. We're going to sing weird parts. We're going to do one little singing part way at the end of a song. <laughs> you know, I think that's wise. Like, so we we just did made a lot of decisions with things and let the let the music kind of make that decision for Give us. Give me the, like, an example so I can locate a spot exactly of a singing part that you consider to be not a chorus that's out there, a weird part. Uh there's a the song called Creator Destroyer. There's a at the I forget what what minute mark, but it's like pretty late in the song where there's like a I guess you would consider it like I don't even know what you would consider because it's not even like a bridge because there's like a bridge prior to it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just this. There's a, a, a clean sung part, like forty seconds before the song ends. In the one in the Crimson Corridor song itself, the namesake or whatever of the record, there's a sung part like 40 seconds into the song, and it literally happens for two lines, and we never sing again. So it's just stuff like that to use like use singing vocals more as an instrument than like as a focal point. Yeah, that's cool. So. What um, is an example of a moment on the record to you that gives you the heavy, like that's what it's always been about for me, like the, from Metallica back to now. Like what is the part on uh, in this record where you're like, yeah, that's scratching that uh, just pure aggression itch? Well, there's, there is the second song is called Ship of Theseus. And there is a breakdown riff towards the end of that song that, that I, it's like one of those riffs when you write it, you're like, ah, it's like almost like I've been waiting forever to write a riff like this. Yeah. That had it, and then the second, the third song actually, which is the first single we released, Croatoan, has another one of those like really cool floaty riffs um, in like 
song kind of builds and then halfway through that song it hits there um and that one kind of was one of those riffs for me that that like you get the you know the hairs on your arm stand up and gives you that little like oh. Oh, that's funny. Randy Torres described it as it makes you, if when you play that, when you find that riff, it makes you make the guitar face, like the mean face where you Oh, nod. yeah. No, you, that's, yeah, he's totally right. And then right. you know you found the right riff if it makes you do yep. that. <laughs> you describe it a little bit more uh, ethereal sounding of when it, like a state of bliss for discovery. How, how, tell me that again, your description. What was it? Oh, like it's the, it, it's just the, I don't, I've heard a term skingasm. That's what it is. So, uh-huh. like, you'll hear that riff. Your body response. And you're just yeah. body, yeah, like, you're... And, you know, I didn't know this, Matt, that a lot of people don't have that audible interaction with music. Like, because I get that with a lot of different things. Like, there's... It doesn't even have to be, like, a heavy band, but but that, like, those heavy riffs do that for me. But, like, a really pretty, like, part can do that for your, like, hair stands up on your neck. Some people don't even get to experience that. I didn't know that sucked. That's, yeah, I, I love I've it. never really thought about that. I, I have very strong feelings of right and wrong when the music hits a certain lane or has, because I know it's having something, it's doing something to me that I wasn't looking for. So it, mm-hmm. I, it's pretty undeniable <laughs> feeling. But I yeah. can understand how p- certain people are more sensitive in their sensory systems and brain wirings that probably predispose them to being song arrangers and things. <laughs> that could you be, know, no. Like, see your colors you, as shapes or sounds as, th- you know, shape, getting different body responses that you're able to just calibrate to. You just are able to yeah. recognize maybe a little before others things that are working or could work. You mm-hmm. have a sense like this could be something. And then you just know to focus, collaborate with some other people and, you know, so the, there's a sensory element to that. I think's maybe kind of fixed, and you know, and some of it you can learn, and some of it is might be just how eight. your sensory wiring goes. That's a really cool thing to think because I I do. It's weird, I, and I think that might be why people talk about it in a way where like they're not the songwriter. They're like they just are this like weird conduit for like this thing to come into them because that's it. It's like you have just that innate sense like this is gonna. This is where it has to, this works. This is what it does. I can't explain to you why, but I just know. Yeah. And then that pairs very, very well with one of those people who is just a pure expressive. Yeah. They are saying what they're saying. They're not, that's different than what me and you were talking about right now. Those people can have that other thing too. Sometimes the the most genius people have both, but Mm -hmm. you know, these Jesse Smiths out there have something to cut out they could paint they could make a candle they could sing they scream and play the drum but they have stuff to get out 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 and then to pair with somebody that's describing that other thing of finding those lanes and knowing what mm-hmm. would work and be able to work with it that those really make great creative pairings that are very collaborative you know i agree and dan as well you know yeah. and, and yeah. get them to overlap in just the right ways as these recipes or cocktails for these things that can emerge and be bigger than us that then can be stewarded to make these pieces of art. And now as the technology increases, I just, last thing I want to know is what can you see in the future for what kind of digital experiences Zayo could make? Cause I mean, 
it's, there's so much that just seems so open to wow. me, like a no brainer that you've got to get, go to the next level and create yeah. digital experiences that are beyond just albums. Yeah. What, what happens then? Like, do we, cause that is something that we think about a lot. Like you think I, well, the way we write our albums now, I really look at them as like visual, like cinema kind of, mm-hmm. right? I think so that's like, correct. That's the right so, evolution in my, my estimation. Yeah. What is it? Like, is it, and we're, we luck out because we have a, uh, like a 3d motion video guy in the band. Russ does all that work. So yeah. Do we start doing representations of our songs? Like, visually like i don't know how that would work but i'll make a suggestion to you and then let it be to you whatever it is to you but you don't make albums you make soundtracks Ooh. for what is up to i don't know yeah that's no i mean that's that's there'll be an album whatever you create i mean it'll take the audio out and you'll have an album of course Mm -hmm. but what could that actually be i think is becoming more and more open which is exciting i like that i think that's really cool yeah, I mean, Zayo's gotten to Zayo's gotten to live long enough. It's gotten mm-hmm. to survive and be stewarded well enough to now possibly get a a real digital representation. Primarily, at which point it's prepared to take the the journey to ahead. That other, yeah, that other if, stuff. If, if there was, you know, there's a digital first art thing to be created. That will mm-hmm. be the encapsulation that then can live for, you know, forever. Yeah. No, dude, that's... But that's, it's not discovered by you or maybe anybody or anybody. But, you know, it's... that's. I think that's what these entities all ultimately deserve is a, yeah. a, a full embodiment that can be preserved, that is accurate to what it is. To what it is. I know. Yeah. I, I really like that. Man. So much to think about. Oh, I know. It's getting exciting. <laughs> I think so. But it's it's really, you know, I, I just see Zeo as such a uh you know, as far as legends go in the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth and Nail, and even this podcast, to be honest, I see it larger than Tooth and Nail, and I think Tooth mm-hmm. and Nail does too, which is what makes this podcast really fun. Yeah. Um, is we see this whole and we trace some of the lineage today, the punk hardcore Christian emo hard Christian hardcore punk seen you know that's a whole community and this is we have a good slice of it here and we've been able to participate um and with what we've done and what tooth and nails done and everything but it's uh it's still i mean the whole thing is an entity that is evolving currently so yeah i mean yeah it keeps moving it's gonna there'll be people at every age point that will identify with all the things that that we do but it'll be expressed differently so we're on that way we're riding that wave you know so So getting to stick around like for Zeo to span the time it has, it shows us things that we've never, we wouldn't see if you only made four yeah. records or changed names or split off or whatever it is. So the, the, the consistency of certain entities to span time are just seem increasingly valuable to me. But um, thanks for being so inspirational and such a good, you know, such a good example of, a, of, of how to struggle through it all. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a struggle. But if you are willing to do the struggle, it's, it's rewarding, especially when you get to the point where like you're involved in all of it, like the reward of being in, in, in control of your art. It's pretty awesome. It is. It is. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time today and for, for what you've done for Zayo. Uh, what do you, Zayo nation? <laughs> what do you have? Zayo do you Dennis. call Zayo fans anything? 
friends. They're not a, a united group in really any way, are they? No, no. I, yeah, it's it's weird to even think about having fans. I yeah. I don't even know what are they. Yeah, we've never said anything. We've never used the term. But they don't have a self identification hub that you're aware of or anything. There's like some Facebook uh, pages, I but I don't think they call themselves. It's just like there's one I know. There's like Zayt is the greatest metalcore band of the in the world or something like that. Um, but they don't like call themselves anything, which that's even the, the name of that's kind of what. But well, <laughs> it is my belief that the Tooth and Nail Solid State labeled uh, crew probably understand and appreciate Zayo the most of anybody. That's I, maybe I'm biased, but I do believe th- I do believe that you're most appreciated in in our sphere because it's, I think you're right. It matches all the layers, you know. But yep. thank you for being that for us. Oh, dude, it, it's so weird to think that that's even a thing. But thank you for even at, uh, attributing that to us. My name is Paul Hyde from Moscow, Idaho. I'm a labeled member, and my favorite three tooth and nail catalog songs are Angel by Slick Shoes, Just a Failure by Terminal, and Reinventing Your Exit by Under Oath. I contribute a few bucks to this podcast because I appreciate the work that goes into it, and I want to continue to be inspired by the stories of my favorite tooth and nail bands. So we're asking you to consider helping us, the labeled members ensure the continuation of this podcast by chipping in an amount of money that you wouldn't miss. Matt Carter is our host, story and editing by Matt Carter, production management, sound design, editing, and mixing by Reva Hansen. Our executive producer is Brandon Ebel. Special thanks to Adam Scatula, Jim Worthen, Tyson Paletti, and Marshall Frimuff at Tooth and Nail Records. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batesel, the band Grandpa Loves Rhinos, Downbeat Creative, and the rest of the members of the Labeled community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash labels.